how we're to keep the Lord's Day holy. So our scripture reading will be from Leviticus 23. For the last few weeks, we've been looking at the fourth commandment. It's the one that tells us that we are to keep the Sabbath day holy. We have a, a, we've looked at a general introduction where we looked at everything involved in the commandment. We looked at the basic requirement that we're to keep one whole day and seven holy to the Lord. And we've seen how the Lord Jesus changed the weekly day of holy rest from the Sabbath day to, uh, from the seventh day to the first day of the week. And today, we come to what is, in many ways, the very heart of the fourth commandment. And that is, how do we actually keep it holy? In a, in a positive sense, like, what are, we, what are we to do to sanctify this day and make it different from other days? Remember that the words holy, hallow, and sanctify are all from the same root in the original. And they all refer to what is devoted to God. So when we're talking about sanctifying the Lord's day or keeping it holy, we're talking about keeping it as a day that's set apart to the Lord. The catechism question that addresses this is question 60. And so let's confess that. It's in the handout, of course, as well. Let's confess the answer to this question, testifying what we believe before the Lord. How is the Sabbath to be sanctified? The Sabbath is to be sanctified by a holy resting all that day, even from such worldly employments and recreations as are lawful on other days, and spending the whole time in the public and private exercises of God's worship, except so much as is to be taken up in the works of necessity and mercy. Now, we'll not be able to cover um, all that this question speaks about today, Rather, we're going to be, rather than looking at what we're not to do, I want to focus in particular on what we are called to do. So we know, of course, that we're not supposed to work. But the reason we're not supposed to work is because we're supposed to do something else. And some people completely miss that. They just say, oh, we're not supposed to work on the, on the Sabbath day. But there's something very wonderful that God has given us to do on the Lord's day. We're to devote ourselves to worshiping Him, both publicly and privately on that day. Work and recreation are, um, and other things like that obviously get in the way of our worship, if, that, if it's to be a day devoted to worshiping God. So I guess you might say that in, in speaking about this, that my prayer is that we would be all become so delighted with what God has given us to do and so devoted to that that we wouldn't even need to talk about what we're not to do on this day. In other words, we don't even have to emphasize that we need to stop our regular work and recreations if we are enthusiastic and engaged about doing the the worship that God has given us to do. It wouldn't be, uh, it's unnecessary to tell you not to work or to watch a ball game on the Lord's Day would be it would be as unnecessary to do that as it would be to tell your your son not to watch a, a ball game or something um, when you you plan to watch a ball game and he's saying oh but but I need to weed the garden you know and <laughs> he's going to be enthusiastic if there's a day to watch a ball game and so in the same way when we are looking at the Lord's Day if we're enthusiastic about that we don't have to say oh you shouldn't be doing that on the Lord's Day we're we're not going to do what we shouldn't do 
But, you know, we're not always that far along with our love for the Lord's Day. So I hope that this will at least help us to see how inappropriate it is to, like, paint your house or watch a ball game instead of worshiping God. Even if you might not might not be excited about worshiping God as you should be, that you'll at least see, hey, this is really not appropriate because God has given us something else to do. It's at least as inappropriate as doing these things um, when your neighbor hired you to, uh, you know, to look after their, to watch their kids after school or something. And, you know, you're, you're there painting your house and the kids are there by themselves and, and you aren't there. It's inappropriate. You've got something else that you were supposed to do. So let's turn our, to our scripture reading. It's uh, Leviticus 23. Here the Lord tells us what to do on his Sabbaths. There are seven Sabbaths mentioned in this chapter, including the weekly Sabbath, which is the one that we're especially concerned about. Remember that a Sabbath of any kind is a day of cessation from normal work and recreations in order to worship God. So all in, in these um, Old Testament Sabbaths that we're no longer to observe now that Jesus has come, we still learn from this chapter lots of various things, but we learn the thing that we're focusing on today. How is a Sabbath day to be sanctified? It's very helpful because it teaches us about how to sanctify then the Lord's day that is a Sabbath that remains for the people of God in the new covenant. If you missed that from last week, I talked about the day change last week and how it changed from the uh, seventh day of the week to the first day of the week, the weekly Sabbath after Jesus came in the new covenant. I showed you how the Lord Jesus instituted Sunday as a Sabbath for New Testament worship. It's a, it's a sabbatismos, it's called, that remains for the people of God in the New Covenant. That's the word that's used in Greek in Hebrews 4. A Sabbath rest, a sabbatismos, remains for the people of God. So by looking at Leviticus 23, we'll see how God's Sabbaths are to be sanctified so that we might um, better understand how to keep the Lord's Day. So, Give attention as I read to you. This is God's word. I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but uh, we'll, we'll stop off. It's a long chapter. This is the holy word of God. Leviticus 23, beginning in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the fourteenth day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. And on the fifteenth day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. But you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And you shall offer on that day when you wave the sheaf a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma. And its drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hen. 
you shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two-tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour, they shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits to the Lord. And you shall offer with your bread seven lambs of the first year without blemish, one young bull and two rams. They shall be as a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offerings, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord. Then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats as a sin offering and two male lambs of the first year as a sacrifice of a peace offering. The priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And you shall proclaim on the same day that it is a holy convocation to you. You shall do no customary work on it. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field when you reap, nor shall you gather any gleaning from your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor of the st- and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, and so on. I'll I'll break off the reading of the chapter there. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. So again, I want to consider things related to how we are to keep the Lord's day, how we're to sanctify the Lord's day, and secondly, how there is a great deception about the character of Sabbath keeping that prevails today. So we'll look at the character of the Sabbath first as a joyful festival, and then we'll look at the deception that is prevalent in our day about Sabbath keeping. And then last, I want to give you some tips about keeping the Lord's Day holy, just things that you can do to keep it as a special feast before the Lord. So first observe that the character of the Sabbath is that of a joyful festival. You see how the Lord describes Sabbath keeping that way in Leviticus 23 when he calls the people to observe seven Sabbaths that he has appointed for them under the old covenant. There are two things that are mentioned to show the Sabbath is a joyful festival. You can see it in verse 2. He calls them feasts of the Lord and he calls them holy convocations. He says, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, the feast of the Lord which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. And you see that the first of these Sabbaths that he speaks about is the weekly Sabbath. He says, six days, verse three, shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. So you can see here that the rest from everyday work was a rest unto a specific purpose. They were to stop their ordinary work so that they could keep these days, these Sabbath days or rest days as a holy festival to the Lord. You can't have a festival if you're going to work nine to five or or whatever. They were days when you stopped your regular activities so that you could hold this holy convocation. 
If you scan the passage, you can see how the Lord calls for a cessation of work in order to keep a holy convocation. And we read several of them. We kept running into that. Rest that you may have a holy convocation. Rest that you may have a holy convocation. And there's a feast for all of the days, but one of them. The feasting of the Sabbath is to be a joyful feasting. The nature of God's Sabbath feast is described back in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 14. It says, And you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, and the Levite, the stranger, and the fatherless, and the widow who are within your gates. So you're supposed to invite people that didn't have things to come and feast with you that couldn't have provide their own feast. This is a description, particularly in Deuteronomy 16, that I just read of the Feast of Tabernacles, which is one of the Sabbaths that's mentioned in Leviticus 23. But it applies to the other Sabbaths as well, where they have a feast. The only exception of the seven is the Day of Atonement. Once a year, there was to be a day of atonement, and that was a holy convocation, but it was not a feast day. It was a day, rather, of fasting and lamentation when they made atonement for their sins. So uh, that's the only exception. The other feature that we see, besides it being joyful feasting, is the holy convocation. And it was just that. What is a holy convocation? Well, it's a gathering or an assembly before the Lord. A convocation is a calling together. Like the idea of, uh, of together or with is, the, and then vocation. Like you, a vocation is a calling, right? So you, you vo- it comes from the word like vocal voice that we get. So, so a, a holy convocation is a gathering together before God. It's an assembly before God. That's what it means. Uh, a, a holy convocation is people gathering to the Lord. Not just any assembly, but an assembly for worship. Some of the Sabbaths in the Old Testament were convocations at Jerusalem. Remember that all the males were required to go up to those um, holy convocations to gather at Jerusalem. However, the wives and uh, children could stay back, like if their mother was maybe having a baby recently or nursing a child or about some, something like that, about to have a baby. But, but notice that verse 3 speaks of the holy convocation each week in all of your dwellings. So in the villages and cities where you live, you're to have a holy local convocation. So the weekly Sabbath day was not at Jerusalem. It was a gathering together, an assembly in the local community. This is where God shows us clearly that weekly Sabbath involves a public gathering. This was called, of course, a synagogue, which conveys the same idea of an assembly. Um, This is where God shows us very clearly then that it's a gathering. Acts 15.21, the synagogue is spoken of as something that was instituted by Moses. And so my question would be, when did Moses institute the synagogue? When did he institute an assembly on the Sabbath? Well, it's what we read right here, isn't it? Every seventh day in all your communities. And so in Acts 15, 21, they say, for Moses has, this is at the Council of Jerusalem, for Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So they did what we do. 
they had those who preached Moses. They read Moses, and then they preached Moses. Israel did not always keep these uh, weekly convocations. In fact, they were pretty abysmal about it. The, the, they didn't keep the annual ones sometimes either. You remember that when they did a Passover, they hadn't done it for years, it said. And they were the same way with these, these weekly convocations. They just they, they blew it off a lot of times. Uh, it, it was a travesty, really. But God had clearly instituted them. It's, it's so much the case that some people think that the Sabbath wasn't, I mean, the synagogue wasn't even instituted till later because we don't see it as a regular thing until after they went to Babylon. That's when they really got into it was when they were in Babylon because <laughs> they didn't have Jerusalem and the temple at Jerusalem to go on their feasts and everything. So they would do, they got more serious about their weekly convocations. But this makes it clear that it goes back. And there were people, it says, that through many generations, you know, that Moses preached in every city. So we learn then from Leviticus 23 that the Lord's Sabbaths are joyful days of feasting and holy assemblies before the Lord. Okay, now the Sabbath of the New Covenant is also a day of joyful feasting, and it is also a holy convocation. It has the same features. Earlier we read in 1 Corinthians 5, 6-8, where you remember how Paul described our worship there as a feast. 1 Corinthians 5, 7-8, For indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us, so Christ is the Passover, therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So as they gathered every Sabbath day, or we're, we're supposed to, to, um, to, to enjoy uh, in a holy convocation and to feast, he calls this the feast that we have, the weekly celebration of the Lord's Supper. We also read from Hebrews 13, 12 through 16, there we, we read that also. Uh, there we have the call to Jesus, of Jesus, to leave the old worship of the temple and to join Jesus outside the gate. So now you see they were no longer be assembling in Jerusalem because now Jesus had come in the new covenant and he was driven out from the city, rejected, and so the people would be meeting in assemblies that they would be put out of the synagogues. What really the synagogue became the New Testament assembly. If everybody in the synagogue received Jesus, then that synagogue just became what we would call a New Testament church. Practiced went from old covenant worship to new covenant worship. But uh, often they didn't. There was often division. And like it was with Christ, the, the people who believed in Christ were driven out. And then they formed an assembly for new covenant worship. Uh, so here's what it says in Hebrews 13, 13. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. And then we're told to come with joyful praise and thanksgiving. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So in the Old Testament, we read about bringing offerings of bulls and goats and things like that, the burnt offerings and things like that. Now we come with praise to God. And that's actually what they did in the weekly synagogue as well. They didn't do sacrifices, only at the temple, right? So they would gather together for praise and reading of the word of God and preaching. Last week, we saw how Jesus moved the Holy Convocation from the seventh day of the week to the first day of the week, because that's the day that he rose from the dead. He did the two things that he promised to do in Psalm 22. Remember those two things. He called the church together for two purposes, that he might declare to them what God had done 
that God did not despise the affliction of the afflicted one, but that when the afflicted one cried, he heard. When Jesus, representing us as a priest, was on the cross, and he cried out for deliverance, for acceptance of his offering, God heard him. So we, we, we celebrate that. We rejoice. He raised him from the dead. He was received. And then the second thing is that we give thanks to his name. So Jesus declared that I will sing praise to you in the midst of the assembly after God heard him. Okay, I'm going to declare to them what you've done and I'm going to lead my people in singing praise. So that's to continue, as you remember, from all generations. It began, it wasn't just something that was done that at right the day that Jesus was raised from the dead, but he did it the next week. And then he, on Pentecost, he poured out his spirit. And then we have the example of New Testament where they gather together on the Lord's Day. And that was something that was never disputed. So this is our weekly Sabbath, weekly New, New Testament uh, holy convocation in all of our dwellings. It's so much seen as the continuation of the synagogue, as I mentioned before, that when you read James, which is one of the earlier epistles, then the word synagogue is used to actually refer to the Christian assembly. That was perhaps a place where the whole assembly did become uh, uh, believers. In James 2, 1 through 2, he says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly, and guess what that word is? Synagogue. It's not ecclesia, the normal word that's used. If, if they come into your assembly, and, and then he goes on, we don't need to read on. But you can see that he calls the New Testament assembly a synagogue. So this is not something that was... Uh, entirely new. It was a new purpose now, and it was the day was changed because of the new uh, thing that had been done with Christ, but it's a continuation of the weekly assembly, uh, the weekly festival day of the Lord. It is what is spoken of in its root in Leviticus 23.3, a holy convocation, a feast to the Lord. And of course, it continues in its character as a joyful festival. Even more now, we have greater cause to rejoice than they did. They had creation and they had redemption out of Egypt, but we have redemption from our sins by the blood of Jesus Christ and the acceptance of his offering for our sake. So what joy we ought to have in the weekly holy convocation when we recount how God has accepted us in Christ. We also have the blessing, greater blessing What did Jesus do on the first day of the week? On Pentecost, he poured out his Holy Spirit, showing that on the Lord's Day, when we come together, we look for blessing. We look for the Spirit to help us in our praise and for the Spirit to work in us through the the means of grace. It's a day of joy and gladness. Psalm 118.24 says, This is the day. What is the day? The day that Jesus, who was rejected by the the chief... uh, the, the, the builders, the, the day that he was rejected by the builders, became the chief cornerstone when he was raised from the dead. This is the day that the Lord has made for us. Let, we will rejoice and be glad in it. But there is a great deception that has been put, on, put over on us today about the Sabbath. When most people think of Sabbath keeping today, what do they think of? Joyful feasts? A festival? No. Oh, they think of the Sabbath as a gloomy affair. Oh, it's a day when you're not allowed to do anything. <laughs> it's, it's the opposite. It's a day when we're allowed to, when we're called to do the most important thing. They picture children being made to sit perfectly still all day and being fed nothing but bread and water, lest they break the Sabbath. 
They picture Pharisees uh, glaring at people for picking apple as they walk by. You know, oh, they, he was he was harvesting. You know, uh, perhaps you yourself have thought of Sabbath keeping in that way. It's just, it's a deception that's quite widespread. There are a number of reasons we have this impression, even though it's the opposite to what God actually appointed. First, because we tend to look at the Pharisees as the experts on Sabbath keeping. If you really want to know how to keep the Sabbath, look, look to the Pharisees. Yes, that's what we think. They're, they're the experts. They were, they were the ones that were really into it. And I'll grant that they were the self-proclaimed experts. <laughs> but self-proclaimed experts aren't always experts. Don't believe that people are experts just because they say they are. That's an important principle. Their Sabbath keeping was not a joyful festival. It was a day of oppressive regulations. It was not the joyful feast that God had appointed for his people. But to add to all the confusion, there are many who think that Jesus also did away with the Sabbath when he came. That he rebuked the Pharisees for keeping the Sabbath at all. And that's a great misreading of Scripture. He was not doing that at all. He was correcting their wrong way of keeping it. You don't correct something as being kept wrong if you're doing away with it. You do away with it. You, you, he's, he's trying to show them, he, he was teaching us the right way that it's to be kept. His goal was not to abolish the day, but to restore it to a joyful feast before the Lord. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's not the abolisher of the Sabbath. He tells us that he made it for us. He made it for us as our creator. He doesn't take it away from us now. He rather calls us together in all generations, as we've seen, to keep the feast with joyful praise and thanksgiving. But that's not all that has been thrown at us to make us think that the Sabbath is a gloomy day. To add even more to the misunderstanding, novels and movies from the last hundred years or so have relentlessly portrayed the Sabbath keeping as a gloomy business. They have those miserable children who are not allowed to say anything because it's a Sabbath, have to sit still all day, have to eat nothing but bread and water because it's a Sabbath day. And one of the reasons that novels and movies have been able to portray the Sabbath that way is because that's the way that a lot of people kept the Sabbath <laughs> in, uh, at different times in history. They, like the Pharisees, they did it like the Pharisees instead of the way Jesus taught. It, this makes people have a disdain for the Sabbath. And of course it does. I, I used to say to our children all the time that, you know, we do do different kinds of things on the Sabbath, like we have have a special meal, special foods, things like that. We also have time when we go to worship God and when we listen to sermons, when we sing praise. There's different activities that we do throughout the day. So, uh, you see, today, though, the lie goes on that, um, you know, there, the lie goes on there are those who realize that we are to keep the Sabbath holy, but who then wrongly keep it is a day of gloom and fasting rather than a day of joy and feasting. So other Christians look at them and they say, oh, that's Sabbath keeping. Uh, and, and they kind of pull back from that because it doesn't seem appropriate for Christians to be fasting and mourning um, on, the, on the day of the Lord. So they go to church, uh, the ones that see that. What they do, instead of keeping it in the right way, is uh, they go to church in the morning and then they go to the ball game in the afternoon or they catch up on their homework or do some yard work or, or whatever because they're, they're, they don't want to do it the way other people are, are doing. So, so they cut the festival day of the Lord in half or even in a quarter. 
and they don't have the whole day as a, a festival day. It's kind of like, you know, oh, you know, uh, it's Christmas, you know, oh, oh I, want, I only want to do that in the morning. <laughs> I want to do something else the rest of the day. What a travesty this is. It's been one of the most successful attacks of Satan in the modern church. Satan's been able to take away the weekly festival of joy from us. The last thing he wants to see is us spending a whole day to rejoice in the wonderful works of the Lord. Of course, then as he brings in other things that start to encroach on it. Oh, there's a tournament, you know, oh, there's a, you know, whatever. And then those things start to take precedent. And then after a while, you know, I, I know I've talked to people right here in our neighborhood that, you know, they said, oh, you know, my, well, my grandmother used to do that. These are people that are my age or my mother used to do that. And uh, then, you know, we, we kind of like went to church regularly. But then our children, you know, they were, they were involved in different things. And so we just kind of gradually just kind of got away from it. Nothing's better for our souls, though, than to spend the whole day rejoicing before the Lord, feasting on his word, singing praise to him, telling of his excellent deeds of kindness. And it's a travesty to be deprived of all that. And it's not just Satan that does this. The Lord himself has taken away our Sabbaths. According to Hosea 2.11, the Lord takes away our joyful Sabbaths as a judgment for us, for our spiritual adultery. If you're committing adultery with the world and idols, then you're not going to have any joy when in the Lord's Sabbaths. They're going to be a boring, empty thing to you. Hosea 2.11 says, I will also cause all her mirth to cease. Her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbaths, those were all Sabbaths that the Lord appointed, all her appointed feasts. God says, I will cause the mirth, the joy, the delight in these things to cease. That's what's happened to us today, especially now with this particular situation we're in with this virus. The precious, joyful day of holy feasting has been taken away from us. And uh, it's a judgment. Like we missed very much our gathering together with the whole body and being able to sing praise together and to have our meal together at lunchtime, the things that we have enjoyed over the years. We need to cry out to the Lord to restore our Sabbaths because it shows that he's displeased. He takes away the mirth from us. I know for me now that with all the multiple meetings, I hardly even have time to eat. You know, it's, a, it's going from one meeting to the next. And it's, I enjoy the actual assemblies and the, the worship of God, but I don't have that other element, getting together with my friends around the dinner table and having a, a conversation and fellowshipping together. That part is, is not there. And uh, so we need to cry out to God. This should be the highlight of our week. Now, let me give you a few tips about keeping the day as a day of holy joy. First, learn to look at the Sabbath as a joyful day of blessing. It's likely that you've been influenced by those who think that it's burdensome and oppressive, at least in some way, but that's wrong. And you're warped in your thinking when you look at it that way. Have we not seen today that it's wrong to look at it that way? And, you know, what does the Lord say about it? Jesus says that it is his gift to us, that he made the day for us, that it's given as a blessing. What could be better than to have a day spent set apart to remember his wonderful works, to recount what he has done, to look at who he is together, to remember our God, and to sing praise to him, and to receive blessing from him? It should be a day that you don't want to miss. 
In fact, learn to feel sorry for those who have nothing better to do with the day than to watch a ball game or to cut the grass or to go to work. They're missing the finest day of the week. And that's what it needs to be for us. I know that as, uh, as parents, that was our goal with our children. We wanted this to be the best day of the week. Secondly, give the Sabbath a central place in your life as a holy festival that you would not think of missing. Arrange your schedule and your thoughts around it. You know, at Christmas time, people will always say to you, oh, are you ready for Christmas? What do they mean by that? You know, you make arrangements, you plan things, you prepare. Are you prepared? Are you plan for the festivities of that time? You anticipate the coming of the day, you pray for it, you think about it, you meditate on it, you get things ready, you uh, screw up your joy for it, uh, schedule your activities around it, just as you would with any important festival that's coming up, something that you're looking forward to, you, you get ready for it. It's, it's an important thing. And by all means, don't let anything encroach on the day of the Holy Convocation. If you're always in a debate about whether you're going to keep the whole day or just part of the day, if it's not settled in your mind, is this is not even a question, unless you're you know, truly sick or something, then the Sabbath clearly does not have a place in your life that it ought to have. So like, well, no, maybe we'll... Maybe we'll go to church part of the day. Maybe we'll do... If people ask you to do other things, say, oh, but I can't. You know, I, I have a joyful festival day to keep with my family on that day, and I don't want to miss it. It's a high and holy day of feasting and joy that, that God has given to his church. And it's a day that we meet with the, with the King of glory, and we celebrate his goodness and bring praise to him. If you have uh, tickets to a pro ball game, you don't hesitate to tell your friends if they say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm coming over. Uh, I'm going to be in town. Now. Let, let's go out for supper on, uh, on Tuesday night. You say, oh, no, I, I've got tickets to the ball game. Say, oh, okay. Uh, it's, it's not a big deal, right? You've got something that's really important that you're going to do. But then when it comes to the Sabbath, oh, and you think, oh, well, I'm going to go to church. But, uh, yeah, well, okay. You know, and, uh, no, that's not, it's, it's the wrong kind of attitude. If, you cut, if you're ever going to benefit from the day, it needs to be a priority in your life. Third, establish special customs and traditions related to the day and keeping, in, in, in keeping with it as a joyful feast day that's holy to the Lord. There are things that you can do related to feasting itself. Have a special meal, perhaps, with special dishes and special food that you can't afford maybe to have on other days. Let it be on that day. Break out the roast or the wine or the chocolate or the pistachios or whatever it is. Special things that you enjoy. Give the kids special treats. If you don't have, want to have dessert every day, have it on the Lord's Day. Have it on, uh, give, give chocolate and candy on that day. Um, we even, uh, when, with, our, with our dogs, um, we always have special treats for them. And so they know that it's the Lord's Day. They know every week. And uh, I remember our little dog we had before that, that she wouldn't eat her, um, her food on Sunday morning because she knew she was going to get treats. And so she wanted to wait for the treats. And she was all excited, you know, when we were uh, waiting. And, and Daisy that we have now, when we're, when we're going out to church, you know, she gets some treats before we go and she comes, you know, and look, looking for the treat because she knows it's, she doesn't really like for us to leave, but uh, that's too bad. But, um, but, but it, 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 
makes it so that the whole the whole family and the animals of the family are involved in uh, in keeping the day special, and invite uh, friends over to to feast with you. It's a time you can invite an unbeliever over too, and uh, and your Christian friends especially to to rejoice before the Lord. There are customs that you can establish for your home. You need to be creative about this. I mean, it's not going to look the same for everybody. Maybe you have extra time of singing than you normally have with your family worship. Or maybe you sing uh, certain songs before church that are related to the Sabbath day or around the table or, or whatever. We, we like to sing uh, Psalm 122 on the way to church. That's become a custom for a long time. You know, I was glad to hear them saying to the Lord's house, let us go. Give gifts to each other or to people in need. Some people do that. I haven't particularly done that. Maybe write a letter to missionaries or send a gift to them or something like that. Do family worship. Do some extra things in your family worship. Maybe you have an extended time that you can't have on other days. Read Bible stories with your kids. Take extra time to pray. Have a time of telling each other the things that you're thankful for going around the room. Work on the catechism. Some people use it especially to work on the catechism. I've usually done the catechism on other days, but a lot of people use do it on the Sabbath when they're busy all week. Listen to music that's related to the Lord and His works. Um, maybe write stories about His goodness. There's all kinds of things. For our little kids, we used to have special things for them to do that were related to the Holy Festival. We had special toys that we called Sunday toys. And these toys, they were not allowed to play with on other days. Like there was a little Noah's Ark toy and they used to, they used to get that and the boys would have the big storm and the boat rocking around on the storm and going around the house with it. And then uh, uh, they'd get all the animals together and line them up and have Noah come and preach to them. The animals would all be in the assembly <laughs> hearing the word of God. And they would do different things like that. Uh, kind of a reenactment of the flood. We had special coloring books for Sunday with Bible stories that they couldn't use on other days. They would set up their stuffed animals and dolls for church. Our daughters used to do that. They'd have all the animals around the room like that they were going to church and that sort of thing. They would do games like um, making cards of different events in the Bible and seeing if they could arrange them in chronological order. They, they got really detailed. They had all these names with different people that we didn't know who they were. You know, we'd be reading the Bible and they'd say, oh, that was so-and-so's son. We're like, I didn't know that. You know, how did you know that? But uh, yeah, and reenact bat- battles in the Bible. Um, you know, Jericho, the walls falling down. All, all kinds of different things to do with the little kids that make the day special. Uh, read Christian biographies or watch an edifying DVD about creation science or the lives of famous Christians. So those are just suggestions. And these suggestions are not to make the day special, but because the day is special. And we want to have that character about the day. If you're the head of the home, it's particularly your responsibility to see that the day is kept holy. The commandment says of the day, Exodus 20.10, In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. So you have a responsibility to lead others, your children and even your animals, to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. If it's not an emergency or a work of necessity, the worker wants to come over on Sunday. No, that's, we, we, we don't have people come on Sunday. You know, that's a... We want to keep the day holy. I hope that, uh, that all that we've looked at today helps you to gain a better picture 
of what it means to keep the Christian Sabbath. We will have more to say about this in the next two weeks, looking at things that uh, are exceptions to the rest and that sort of thing. It'll be a great joy for me as we go through this to to see you um, putting these things into practice because it's a blessing. It's, it's a day of joy and we need that so much in our lives. The world is so mundane. Every day is alike. And God has made it so that every day is not alike. And we need to be sure that we maintain the specialness of the character of the day before our God. We belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and he has given us this as a gift each week. And we're we're not to despise, but rather to use and, and benefit from his gifts. If he calls it a blessing, then we need to receive it as a blessing. We need to receive also blessing from the day because he has promised that. So I urge you to make the most of it. Please stand and, and let's pray and call on the Lord. Lord, thank you that you have given us this day that is the weekly holy convocation to the Lord. You appointed it for us from way back, even all the way back when you created the world. You established this day, and we are told very early on that as soon as there were people on the earth, that they began to call, gather to call on the name of the Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, we still gather to call on the name of the Lord today as we have done today. We thank you, Lord, for the blessing that comes to us through your assemblies and through a joyful day of remembrance, a joyful day of looking at who you are and and what you have done for us, the wonderful works of the Lord that are remembered by your people. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless us in this particular assembly here, Lord, and for the other assemblies that will go on today. We pray, Lord, that you will be glorified in all that we do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you can be seated. We're having the Lord's Supper today, so... Very glad that uh, that we can we can do this today. So I told you in the sermon that Sabbath is a day of feasting, and it is. Jesus, as we were reminded again today, was crucified and then raised from the dead is an acceptable sacrifice on the first day of the week, on Sunday. That's the day that he was raised and declared to be Lord and Savior. And it's the day that he has appointed for us to rejoice and be glad and to feast at the Lord's table. You say, well, this isn't exactly a feast. Well, yes, it is a feast that is more spiritual in its character. We read about it today in 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, where Paul referred to the Lord's Sabbath is a feast for us to eat. The Lord's Supper, sorry, is a feast for us to eat. He refers to Christ as Christ, our Passover, who was sacrificed for us. And he tells us that we're to eat this feast not with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, which goes very much along with what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, which I'm going to read in a minute as the words of institution. He's, what is he talking about there? To not with the leaven, you know, they were take, to take all the leaven out of, of malice and wickedness. He's talking about purging sin from our lives so that we can come 
not as those who are tied to our idols. See, we sever from our idols and we're, we're coming to the Lord to receive his blessing instead of looking to the Egyptians to protect us or the Assyrians to deliver us or to the world to give us pleasure or whatever. We're, we're rejoicing as those who are purified through Jesus our Savior. The feast, the Lord's Supper, is not about filling our, our bellies, but it's about filling our souls with Christ and his saving benefits. When he offers us the bread and wine that represent his body broken and his blood shed, he offers us spiritual nourishment through his sacrifice, through his offering. There is pardon for sin and there is promise of new life. Where is that promise found? In Jesus crucified and raised again in the broken body and the shed blood for the remission of sins. So we come with faith and we come with expectation that we're going to receive blessing because we're commemorating and have set before us the tokens of Christ crucified. And we're looking and saying, Lord, on account of what Christ did, nourish me, give me blessing so that I rejoice in you and what you have done and that I receive the benefits of what you have done. But you see, we have to put away our idols and our wickedness, our bitterness, and all the things that are uh, that interfere, so that we can come as holy people, looking to Christ for the blessing that He has. He He cleanses us from our sins; we can't cleanse ourselves, and He strengthens us to live for Him. So, listen to the words of institution that were given by Paul, First Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So part of keeping the day involves keeping the feast in the right way. So do not come unless you have professed Jesus as your Savior and are trusting also in him as you have professed uh, and looking to him for forgiveness and for new life. Don't just look for forgiveness so that we can keep on sinning. We look also for him to deliver us from our, our practice of sin. You need to be a member in good standing of his church, communicant member, and you need to be sincere and true. Not perfect. No one in this life is, but sincere and true the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. If you do come in that way, then he will meet you and you will be nourished and you will be refreshed. He loves to meet us here. And when he does, then we're greatly enriched. We will receive the blessing that he has promised to us on this day. And I'll just mention, as I say, this feast is not particularly about tasty foods and filling our belly. It's about looking for spiritual nourishment. 
But that doesn't mean that the other kind of feasting where we enjoy a great meal with, um, with the fat of, uh, of beasts and all those kind of things on our table and, and good wine and whatnot is inappropriate in any way on the Lord's Day. In fact, it's very appropriate. We see our Lord Jesus going to feasts on the Sabbath day and rejoicing before the Lord in what he had done. He goes to the synagogue and then he goes to someone's house and has a wonderful feast with them. You remember that sometimes when even um, someone comes in and anoints him with oil or, or something like that. So it's a, a day of festivity and joy. So, okay, let's pray then and ask God to bless us as we prepare to come to the table. Gracious Heavenly Father and Lord Jesus Christ, we come to you, Lord, looking to you to cleanse us from our sin. Father, we come recognizing that Jesus died as an atoning sacrifice so that we could be fully forgiven. That Jesus came to be our righteousness because we're not righteous ourselves. We come short, Lord. We don't have it in us. We can't save ourselves. We can't even measure up. After we've been forgiven and pardoned, we don't measure up to what you require of us. We still need to be cleansed ongoing in this life. But we thank you that in Jesus that there is no condemnation and that we're set free, Lord. And this is our joy that we we come to you with joy because of the forgiveness of sins. But we also come with joy because you've given us a relationship with you that we didn't have before. Lord, you've taken away our stony heart and you've given us a heart that delights in you as our God and that desires to serve you. You've, give, you've written your law in our hearts so that we want to serve you. And Father, we pray then as we come to the table that we would look for strengthening in our ability to serve you. Not only do we look to be forgiven and cleansed, but we also look to, to walk in a, in a new way, Lord, in a, in a way that is more in accord with, with what you have commanded. Thank you, Lord, that we can do this, that we can look to you for these things and we can expect these things. We can expect also to be comforted and to receive joy when we consider what you have done for us. So please, Lord, meet with us and bless us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.